The Tower of Babel The Promise to Abraham The Sons Ishmael and Isaac The Birth of Covenants Every one of these events is an announcement, a declaration of who God is and how He treats His people as the word of God has stood the test of time, these records are still a revelation. All right. Well, good morning, LEFC. I'm Joel Lingenfelter. I'm the executive pastor here, uh, and it's my privilege to be opening the word of God with you today. So we will be using the Word of God. If you don't have a Bible, please put your hand up and our ushers will be happy to get you one. Uh, If you don't own one, please consider this a gift. Take it home with you. We would love for you to have access to the Word of God at all times. If you're more of a digital person, you love using your your phone or your tablet, uh, the YouVersion Bible app has an events tab. And in that events tab is Lancaster Evangelical Free Church. And when you click on that, it will give you access to all of the verses that we're using this morning. So I would like to begin with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for just your incredible goodness. Thank you for the way that uh, you water the earth and the way that you care for us. Uh, Lord, as we dig into your word, may we see how uh, the lessons you gave Jacob uh, just apply to us today. And may we just view your word with with, uh, just reverence and awe. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, Pastor Tony introduced us to Jacob and Esau, the the children of Isaac and Rebekah. And it was a powerful message on the sovereignty of God. If you weren't here, if you haven't heard it, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to it because it really focuses in on who God is and, and how we can trust him. And really what the sovereignty of God does is it gives us hope and peace. We can trust in him and live with confidence knowing that Jesus has overcome the world. See, we know the end of the story, and we know that God wins. And while we know that God is sovereign, we didn't cover the entire story of Jacob. So today, we're going to look more into the life of this patriarch. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 28, and uh, we will begin. I feel that way in the morning, too. Um, So this is page 15, and it does not go here. So hold on, just a moment. Oh my, that's page 20. Give me a second, I did not, apparently, reset this from first service, I'm so sorry. Well, I will tell you uh, that among other things we will get to today, I am from Western New York, specifically the town of Brockport, so that makes me a Buffalo Bills fan. So we can have a moment of silence together While I do this, uh, I was hoping to be able to preach from a jersey this morning, and that just didn't quite work out. Um, Wow, this is totally not going to work. We're going to do it this way. (laughs) One at a time. Okay. That's the benediction. (laughs) Okay. We'll keep going. We're going to get there. Bear with me, and I appreciate your patience. I'm so sorry. I usually do this between services, and apparently I did not. Um, 
Okay, so we're going to talk about the life of Jacob, and I can do that actually before I have my notes. So Jacob came out of the womb, actually in the womb, he was contending with his brother Esau. So they were twins, and they fought so much that Rebekah actually sought the Lord and said like, hey, what is going on here? Uh, and, and God said to her, that's not going to help. It's so small I can't read it. Thank you, though. <laughs> I appreciate the effort, but uh, my eyes are not good enough to read that anymore. So, so I wonder why you were all laughing. Um, all right. And here we go. Right after that, we have page 21. So we're good. We have now figured this out almost. Um, so Rebecca sought the Lord and she said, what is going on with these children in me? And God told her, listen, they will struggle for their whole lives and the younger will serve the older. Um, now, Jacob was born the younger twin, and if you remember, he came out of the womb, what? Grasping onto the heel of his brother. That's definitely a bad start if you're the other brother. This is gonna be, this is gonna be a day. Um, and so what we learn about Esau, Esau was a man of the field, right? He was out, he was a hunter. He was kind of a man's man. Uh, and Jacob was a man of the city. He was one, it says, he lived among the tents. And I don't know if he was a merchant, but what we do know is he did cook. And so another event in this, the lives of these brothers is Jacob is cooking a lentil stew and Esau comes in from, in from the field and he's famished. And he says, give me some of that stew. And Jacob says what? Well, sure, but give me your birthright. Which, which seems, I don't know, that seems like an odd response to a request for dinner. Um, but I'm guessing this is not the first time this has come up. That these two have in fact argued and, and fought, and Jacob has continually been seeking more and has probably asked for his brother's birthright before. And he's finally worn Esau down, and Esau says, look, what good is it to me if I'm dead because I'm so hungry? Fine, take it. And so Esau gives up, and he agrees. Well, that's not the last time that Jacob would take advantage of his brother. In fact, in Isaac's old age, Jacob took advantage of his father's failing health to steal Esau's blessing through deceit. So with the birthright, Jacob may have asked really too much, asking for that in return for a bowl of stew, but at least Esau had the chance to say no. Whereas with his blessing, he didn't. Jacob, and in collaboration with his mother, deceived Isaac and actually stole that from Esau. And, and as you might expect, Esau was pretty upset because that blessing was significant. I'm gonna read it for you. It's in Genesis 27, verses 28 and 29. Uh, it goes like this. May God give you heaven's dew and the earth's riches an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Wow. So why do I bring that up? Well, it's really easy for us to forget Jacob's character, right? We think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, and, and we forget that really at this point, when we get to today's text, Jacob is kind of a scoundrel. He's not a man who fears God. He's living like someone who is interested in only one thing, what is best for Jacob. He also doesn't trust that God will provide for him, that God will do the things that he says he will do, and instead, he takes those things, lying and cheating to his own gain. 
Now Esau, Esau's not a blameless victim, right? He's taken foreign wives that drive his parents crazy. And ultimately, when he, when he recognizes what Jacob has done in stealing from him, his response is, is not forgiveness, it's what? I'm gonna kill my brother for wronging me. It's revenge. So, so Esau is definitely not, not blameless, and what happens is Rebekah overhears this and then schemes with Jacob to figure out how do we keep him safe from his brother. So now we're at Genesis 28, and let's begin at verse one. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Paddan Aram in the house of your mother's, mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the neighbors of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way and he went to Paddan Aram to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now notice that when he sent him away, Isaac blesses Jacob a second time. Now I have to think that would be difficult. Like he absolutely knew of Jacob's deceit by this point. But in his blessing, he specifically ties Jacob to the Abrahamic covenant. So he ties Jacob in his blessing to the words that God had said to Abraham. So the last time I was with you, I had the opportunity to go through the covenants with you. And Genesis chapter 12 is where this covenant with Abraham is established. And I wanna read that. God says this, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So you notice the language in this covenant. It's a direct connection to the words that Isaac is using. The promises made to Abraham will be fulfilled through Jacob. They won't be fulfilled through Esau which is what tradition would have expected. This is not my day for turning pages. <clears throat> so let's read Jacob's journey from Beersheba to Haran. It continues in verse 10, again, chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out in the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. 
I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, although the city used to be called Luz. And I say it Bethel because it means house of God. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me in this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So colloquially, we call this, this verse what? Or this passage, Jacob's Ladder, right? And so let's unpack it and see what we can learn today. So first of all, up to this point, we've seen that Jacob doesn't fear God, nor does he follow him. Now, based on the words of Isaac, he certainly knows of God, but based on his actions, he doesn't know God. So if you are at Winter Blast, this should sound very familiar. Knowing about versus knowing. Those are different things. So Jacob is a day or two into his journey. Now, when I started preparing for this message, I figured walking from Beersheba to Haran was, you know, like walking from Lidditz into Lancaster or, or something like that. But then I realized, well, no, he has to stop for the night, so maybe it's like Reading. Um, and then I did my research and discovered I was way off. So you have a map there. Uh, and rather than, than a walk to Lancaster City, this is more like a walk to Dayton, Ohio. All right, or if you, if you wanna go north, it's like going all the way up to Portland, Maine, or maybe walking south, a little south of Raleigh, North Carolina. It's a long, long way. Now, I didn't realize, even when I looked at this map, how long it was, but as you look north of Israel there along Jacob's path, he actually goes through Lebanon. It's not Lebanon, it's not just a few miles north. It's Lebanon. And then he goes through Syria and he actually ends up in Turkey. So Haran, Haran is, is still there actually and it's in modern day Turkey. So 460 miles away, Google says this is about an 18 day walk. Uh, but even then, Jacob didn't have access to modern roads. There would have been rocks and trees and <clears throat> It would have been a difficult, difficult journey. And as we can see in our text, there was no Motel 6 along the way, right? The best he could come up with was a rock to put his head on. But look, if you want to get away from your murderous brother, 460 miles will probably do it. So Jacob, he's about 48 miles in, about 10% of the way, and he goes to sleep and he has a dream. Now Jacob has a father that follows God. And his grandfather is Abraham, right? The all-star of all-stars when it comes to following God. So you would think Jacob had been all about God from the moment he exited the womb. But this has not been his character to this point. We've seen a self-absorbed man who will do anything to advance his own interests, who's never given the Lord a second thought. Well, what's that mean? It means that Jacob sees no connection between the world around him and the world of the Spirit 
of heaven, of spiritual things. So what's the first thing he sees in his dream? He sees a connection between heaven and earth, a connection between the physical world and the spiritual world, a connection upon which the angels are ascending and descending. So up to this moment, Jacob has lived as if the spiritual does not exist. And now, God has shown him, not only does it exist, but God is active, God is involved, and God is doing things. It is directly connected to the world we live in. So for Jacob, he has to completely rethink his understanding of how the world works. Not only does God exist, but he's involved. The angels, they're not ascending and descending from fun. This is not a water slide, right? The angels are ascending and descending because they have a purpose. They are doing the work of the Lord. And this passage is in scripture for a purpose. So just as this this event caused Jacob to have a radical reframing of his understanding of God's relationship with the world, it should do the same for us. God is not distant, God is near. God is not disinterested, he's involved. The heavenly host isn't just a celestial choir. They're active in serving God in our world. So up to this point, Jacob lived completely unaware of the work of the Lord, completely unaware of the ministry of the angels, completely unaware of God's purpose, design, and direction. And God showed him the fallacy of that way of living. So what would Jacob do with that information? What will you do with that information? Well, let's take a look at our text. The next thing that happens is God speaks directly to Jacob. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. See, God directly ties Jacob to the covenant that he made with Abraham, and specifically that all peoples of the earth would be blessed through his offspring. Who is that offspring? Jesus, right? This is a foretelling of what will happen in the coming of Jesus, that all people would be blessed through him. Additionally, God affirms and reiterates Isaac's blessing that he gave Jacob upon his departure, promising both that his descendants would be numerous and that he would return and give Jacob this land. Now, personally, I've lived in quite a few locations, right? Really, I identify with three. One is Brockport, New York. That's where I sadly became a Bills fan, right? Another is Southern California, and then here in Linens. And I grew up in New York, and, and we attended church regularly. My grandfather was a pastor in Indiana, and my parents were actively serving the Lord by equipping missionaries around the world. We had the opportunity to travel to different countries, and my parents would teach them about how to interact with the cultures and understand what was going on with the people they were trying to to minister to. 
It was an amazing time. But God wasn't my focus, even with all of that exposure. Church was part of my life, but that was it. Now, at the end of my sixth grade year, we moved from New York to California. Now, as you can imagine, this is a really big move, and I experienced extreme culture shock. California and New York are very different, and I hated everything about California, down to and including the weather. When you grow up with six feet of snow all winter long, having none of it is just wrong, right? But it wasn't all bad. We started attending a Grace Brethren Church, and my faith grew exponentially during that time. Now, I remember specifically a single day, and it wasn't even a day at church. It was just a day in which I had really stopped and was reflecting on my life and and what I was about. And I thought about my faith, and I came to a point where I had a decision to make. Am I going to move forward as a child of God? Or am I going to reject the religion of my parents? There was no dream. There was no explicit spoken word from God. But I recognized that day and that moment as a turning point in my life. From that day forward, I would be a Christ follower, wherever that may take me. And that day and that decision directly leads to this morning where I'm standing in front of you, interacting with the word of God together. Jacob lived apart, lived apart from God. He was rich in knowledge of God, but devoid of relationship. Jacob, son of Isaac, grandson of Abraham, was at a turning point. He'd known about God his whole life. His dad Isaac had clearly been a follower of God and had prayed for God's blessing upon Jacob, both willingly and unwillingly. I'm sure Jacob knew the stories of how God had called his grandfather to walk in faith. I'm sure he knew about the covenants that God had made with him. Jacob had everything going with him to be a follower of God, and yet he was ruled by self. Knowledge isn't enough. It's not just enough to know about God. We need to know God. So scripture records for us five responses that Jacob had to this dream. The first is revelation. Jacob recognizes that what has happened is real, that God is in this place, that God, that he's ignored his entire life, is here. And that requires a response. And so what Jacob does, his first thing is what? He is afraid. Jacob is afraid. Now, now why why is fear? Why is that the response? Well, I think I can explain it this way, and it's a little diversion, but this is how I think. I love ships. I've always loved ships since I was a little kid, and it's no accident that one of the first things I did when I moved here was went to see the SS United States sitting derelict at a pier in Philadelphia. I love ships. So just a few weeks ago, my family had the opportunity to take a trip on a ship from Fort Lauderdale, Florida to San Diego, California, and that involves going through the Panama Canal. What an amazing opportunity that was. And as you can see up here, we're going through the canal and we're looking at these other ships and the things that are happening and it was overwhelming. But it was, we were never afraid. And why were we not afraid? Well, our ship was small for cruise ships these days. Some of them are bigger than like Montana, but, but we had a big ship, right? And it's, it held 1,400 people. 
And so we're on this ship and we're looking at these cargo ships and we feel safe, right? We know that, that we're on an equal level with them. But, but you know, not everyone would feel safe in the presence of a big cargo ship. Let me show you another photo. I didn't take this one. Uh, but I imagine that this fellow in this rowboat feels very different about that oncoming ship than I did, right? So if you look at him, he is completely overwhelmed by fear. He's gonna have no other possible reaction because the power distance between a man and a rowboat with two oars and that enormous ship coming at him is incomprehensible. All you can do is quake. That's what Jacob is facing. He's like a man in a rowboat with an aircraft carrier coming at him. He has no prayer. He is unholy and he is in the presence of holy. He is powerless in the presence of ultimate power. And so his response is one of reverence. His next words, how awesome is this place? And that's a very good translation, but the Hebrew word, Yahweh, it means a little more than just awesome. It's, it's astonishment. It's a level of awesome. Imagine if you grew up in the Sahara Desert and the most you'd ever seen was a trickle of water and someone said, close your eyes and took you and put you in front of Niagara Falls. When you opened your eyes, what would you think? You would be so overwhelmed by that sight. That's the level of reverence and awe that Jacob is referring to. Someone who's never really seen water being in the presence of Niagara Falls. How awesome is this place? The next thing that he does after recognizing what it is, is memorialize it. So he takes the stone and he sets it up. He anoints it with oil, makes it something sacred as a point of connection to the Almighty. Now Jacob was very focused on the place. This was where it happened. But, but the place isn't the important thing. It's the revelation of God that he received. And the, so, the stone, it serves as a marker of this is where God showed me that he is real. What happens after that? Well, faith, right? The next thing, it's, it's, this is often misunderstood, right? Because people think Jacob then makes a vow and says, God, you know, if you'll do this and this and this and this, I will make you my God. But, but he's not setting new terms. He's just restating what God said he would do in his own words, right? He looks at everything that God has said and he says, uh, I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> uh, he says, if God will be with me, and what had God just said? I will be with you until all these things have happened and will watch over me. And God says, I will return you to this place on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. It's like, okay, God, if you're really gonna do all that, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house and all that you give me, I will give a tenth. Jacob isn't setting new terms. He's not testing God. He's connecting what God said to his response. He's acting in faith, making a vow of what he will do going forward. Now, every single person in this room has a story. A story that begins on a path apart from God. 
And everyone in this room and everyone watching online has different levels of knowledge about God. We know that he's the creator. We know that he loves us and that he sent Jesus to be the sacrificial lamb on our behalf. But have we reached that turning point where faith becomes action? Earlier I asked that question, what will you do with this information? So let's talk about what we do with this information. The first thing is to recognize who God is. One God, creator of all things, holy, infinitely perfect, eternally existing in three equally divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, having limitless power and limitless knowledge and sovereign power. God has per graciously, purposely, graciously purposed from eternity to redeem a people for himself, to make all things new for his own glory. If that sounds familiar, that's point one of our statement of faith, who is God? Jacob undoubtedly knew much about God, but until this turning point, he had failed to recognize God's involvement in his life. For each of us, we need to recognize God's involvement in our story. In my own story, I began to see how that move to California, it, it was part of God's plan for my life. As I sat and pondered the reality of God, I began to see how God had been moving me towards that moment. And as the years went on, I've continually seen God working and moving in my life and the lives of others. Secondly, in fear and reverence, we need to confess our sins to him and seek forgiveness. Because we are sinners. And it is Jesus that is the perfect sacrifice that we need to be in the presence of God. So we've been talking a lot about Jacob and by extension his father Isaac and grandfather Abraham. They're all included in what we colloquially call the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. And I'd like to read you a little of that. I think this will be on screen for you. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. There's a lot more, and if you've never read it, it's a great summary of how people in the Old Testament lived out their faith in God. But the promise truly didn't arrive until Jesus. And that brings us to chapter 12. Let me begin Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We, like Jacob, have lived lives that did not reflect the reality of God's presence. Thankfully, God is moving and working, and he gave us Jesus to stand in for us, taking the penalty that we deserved upon himself, and in return, making us perfect in the eyes of God. 
we live in the reality of what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob could only hope for. And in that reality, we confess our sins, knowing God is faithful to forgive through Jesus. 1 John 9 says it this way, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thirdly, be intentional to remember. See, Jacob set up that stone as a reminder of what God had done. You know, in my own life, on my left hand is a ring, and it serves as a daily reminder of my commitment to Patty, of my love for her, and my promise to be faithful to her and stand by her through every storm of life. She's been my faithful companion for 30 years, and we have a lot of incredible memories together. I look at this ring and I remember. But what about God? What do I have to remind me of what God has done? God has been there for every breath I've ever taken. Just as Jacob set up a memorial of his moment with God, I need to be intentional to remember the things that God has done for me. So how do we do that? Well, for one, remember what Pastor Tony said a few weeks ago. We need to name the hill. Remember that, Abraham, after that whole event that we just read about where he, he takes Isaac up to be sacrificed and then God provides the ram and he named that hill, God provides. Well, why did he do that? He did that because he wanted, every time somebody talked about that hill, he wanted people to remember that God provides. Now look, you and I, we're probably not gonna be setting up giant stones or renaming geologic formations, right? Like that's not really our place. But we do have ways in our own lives that we can remember what God has done. Maybe it's something small, but one thing we can do, this is a, up on the screen, you see Celebrate God. This is coming up next week and it, it's a great event. It's something that we do once a year every January or early February, and that is that we simply celebrate who God is and what he's done. This event's coming up next week. It'll be a great time and importantly, will give you an opportunity to, to write down, hey, this is something that God has done in my life and just hang that up along with others just to say these are the things that God has done. What an incredible opportunity to just testify to his mercy and grace. Now, in your own lives, if you have a small group, a life group, maybe a group of friends, family, whatever group you have, get with them this week. Talk about those things. Use it as an opportunity to think about what you wanna write down when Sunday night comes. Talk about it and testify with others. This is what God has done for us. This is what God did for me. These things are important. It's important that we remember and that we testify to one another. But the most important thing is make God the God of your life. Give up the things that are keeping you apart. <clears throat> Acknowledge him in all your ways and live in obedience to him. You know, Jacob specifically identified the tithe as an area where he needed to obey and vowed to do so. See, he'd been all about himself. He'd been about his own wealth for 40 plus years. And this specific act of obedience showed that his focus had changed. He was truly gonna live in the light of the reality of God's presence and blessing. There's another thing about this passage that should not be missed. Jacob lived for over 40 years not acknowledging God. And then he hit a turning point and he lived out his days on a completely different path. You know, he and Esau in restored relationship 
buried Isaac when Isaac passed. If you're a parent of an adult child that's not following God, I wanna tell you something. No experience you could have given your child, nothing you could do or say to them would be better than what Isaac and Abraham had to offer Jacob. There's no way. God spoke directly to Abraham and made a covenant with him that was eternal. I'm sorry, you don't have that, right? And yet it took over 40 years for Jacob to follow God. Parents, if you have children, particularly adult children that are not following God, don't give up hope. I'm sure it grieved Isaac when Jacob did these things. I, we know it did when he deceived and, and took Esau's blessing. But Isaac blessed him and prayed for him. And God provided. Don't give up. Pray for your children. Trust that God is good, that he has a purpose. God is good. Do not give up. What Jacob saw was an amazing, amazing change. And every one of us has reached those turning points in life. Pray for your children that they will do so. Now, maybe you're not thinking about your children. Maybe you're saying, I don't have this relationship with God. I've heard a lot about him, but I don't know who he is. Well, maybe today is that turning point for you where you say, I wanna make a change. I wanna live in light of the connection between heaven and earth that is real and that does exist. I wanna live a life that follows God. I want him to be the Lord of my life. If you do so, it's really simple. Just admit that you're a sinner. Say, God, I am so sorry. I have done so many things that like Jacob just did not acknowledge you. Secondly, believe that God sent Jesus, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead for the sake of our redemption saving us from our sins. And finally, choose to follow him. Commit your life and just say, God, I wanna make Jesus the Lord of my life. That's all you need to do. To change your focus and live a life in reality of God's presence. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your amazing work. I thank you for the hope that you bring. I thank you for the, the vision that you gave Jacob, showing him how heaven and earth are connected. Lord, I thank you that these words were preserved for us, that we might learn from Jacob's vision and from his response, of how we are to respond to you. I pray that you would be with every parent in this room that, that is just grieved when we mention children who are not following you. And I pray for those children, that you would bring something into their lives that would mark that turning point where they turn and follow you. Lord, you are good. Your mercy endures forever. We love you and we praise your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand in prayerful response to the promises of our God.
So what Jacob saw in his dream was a glimpse into the reality of God's presence. But what he actually saw was even more. It was a glimpse of Jesus. See, Jesus says at the end of John 1, he then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What Jacob saw in his dream wasn't just the reality of God's involvement and his connection with the other world, but it was a glimpse of what was to come, the light of the world, because it is Jesus that is the bridge between earth and heaven. Jacob stopped for the night and got more than he bargained for. He reached the turning point in which he lived every day in reality of an understanding of who God is and how he wanted him to serve. So go forth this week and live in light of the reality of a God who loves you. Amen? Go in peace.